Hey, thanks, Roland. And good morning from me again. Um, these things are written that this chapter in John. Oh, I've got Luke in my Bible. Hold on, let me get. These things are written in John chapter two, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you, you and me, and you at home, may have life in His name. Life in His name. And I've called this one, Jesus Loves Wine. So why have I done that? Controversial one. Uh, what does that mean? Right, to prepare us for the church quiz that you're all going to come to on May the 20th at half past five in this building, here's are some questions. Um, the opening few words, because today's story is critical on like, how do I know that I'm right with God? Critical. So, quiz time. The first four words of John chapter 2 are these. On the third day. Right. John loves Moses. John copies Moses a lot. And Moses loves this phrase, the third day. And that's why John starts this chapter with, on the third day. Don't bypass that. If you want to get right with God, you have to understand what this means. So here's a quiz. I'm going to read some passages where Moses talks about the third day. And the quiz is, what sort of theme happens on the third day that John wants us to understand? So here's Genesis chapter 22. Abraham rose early in the morning <clears throat> and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burned offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the... Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place far off. And Abraham said to the young man, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And we will come back to you. And then that classic story happens that you all know about. And here's verse 16. The Lord says, Because you have done this and not withheld your son, blessings will come to you. And I will multiply your descendants as much as the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. What's the theme? Well, Hebrews 11 helps us out. Because it remembers that story and it says, By faith, when Abraham was tested, he offered up Isaac, who had received the promises, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. And Abraham concluded that God was able to raise up Isaac from the dead. What's the theme? On the third day. All right, you, well, keep it in your head. Here's another one. Here's Exodus chapter 19. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and get them ready. Tell them to wash their clothes and be ready for the third day. For that is when the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people and bless them on the third day. What's the theme? One more. 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you which... For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that He was buried, and that He rose again on the... according to the Scriptures. In the Bible, on the third day, 
Something hopeful always happens. Blessings, new life, resurrection, vision, and joy. That's the theme. And that's why John starts with this. On the third day, and all the listeners or readers would be like, Whoa, okay, we know what Jesus is going to get up to on this one. So surely something exciting and hopeful is going to happen. But what does happen? Have you ever been in a conversation where two people start arguing and it gets really awkward and you all look down at the floor? Yes, that's what happens. So then John sort of sends us in another direction. On the third day there was a wedding. Jesus' mother was there. And Roland read it perfectly. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And Roland said, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. Isn't that funny? On the third day, there's an awkward insight into the domestic between Jesus and his mum. Because that word woman is best translated as madam. That's like um, around the dinner table, although it won't happen today because they've gone to Pembrokeshire. But um, Rita says to Jensen, can you pass me the potatoes? Jensen says, madam. Your desire for potatoes is none of mine. That's how the Greek is translated, or should be. So, I mean, do have I got the title wrong? Jesus loves wine. I'm not sure he does. I don't. Doesn't look like he even likes weddings at the moment. And more abruptly than that, this phrase uh, in this English, it's "Why do you involve me?" That phrase, it's actually, "What does this have to do with me?" Well. Jesus says that five other times. It's in Greek five other times. And each other time he says it to demons. This is a heavy phrase. Suddenly in Matthew 8 the demons cried out. No, sorry, they either say it or he says it. What have we to do with you, Jesus, Son of God? Whoa, are you here to torment us before the final day? That phrase, what has this to do with me? What? That's the same phrase. It's a serious, sobering, abrupt moment. I do not want you involving me in this wine problem right now. This is not your business, nor is it my time. Now, Jesus loved his mum, so he's not being sinful here in the way he speaks to her, but it is awkward if you're there. Then, even odder still, in verses 6 to 9, he goes and makes the wine anyway. That's like the elders saying, Owen, please clean the church. Join the rota. And I say, it's not your place to get me busying myself with cleaning the rota. But with not cleaning the rota. <laughs> cleaning the church. So I have that awkward thing. And then when they all leave, I go and do it anyway. And I don't just do it. I do the best job that's ever been done in cleaning Park End. See, most people usually say, yeah, I'll do it, and they don't. Jesus says, I'm not doing it, and he does. So, you know, welcome to a world of confusion. And um, then he makes the best wine, and they love it. And this is an odd conversation on the third day. So why is it there, and why does it matter to us this morning? Well, it's because of this. 
he is doing this to teach Mary an important lesson and to teach everybody gathered here an important lesson. My time has not yet come. You're ever so slightly missing the point, Mary, of why I have come. And so you just need to learn now, gently or maybe firmly, my allegiance isn't actually to you. I have another time written, and I'm following my Father. And she's got to learn that the hard way. Jesus isn't here to do magic tricks for Mary. He's not here to do magic tricks for us. He's about doing his Father's will, and he's about sorting a much bigger problem out than no alcohol at the wedding. And he later says, for whoever does the will of God is my father and my brother and my sister. So there's something bigger going on, Mary. I know we've got blood relations here, but you can't use your status to get me to do what you want all of the time. That isn't how the God and person relationship works. It's not about who you are. It's not about your connections, why I do something. See, Christianity is all about, ladies and gentlemen, life with God and knowing Him and walking with Him and trusting Him. And there will be times in all of our lives when the wine runs out. Whatever that is in your life, where you need Him. And in your situation, the wine has gone. And there is a massive danger that Mary almost walks into, and it's the modern version of, oh, Jesus will do it because of who I am. And I'll point the modern danger out by asking you to finish these sentences in your head. The living God will meet you this morning, or us as a church, or as a group, because... dot, dot, dot. How do you finish that sentence in your head? Or here's another one. I feel that I'm a child of God who has rights and I can pray to Him because... You fill that out in your head. Because whatever you put there is the basis of your Christianity. That is what you think is the basis for you having any rights with God or knowing Him as a father. He will give us an invigorating third day revival experience in the life of Park End which is going to spill out to Cardiff and the denomination again will rise like a mighty force for the gospel in Wales because dot 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 he'll never leave me or forsake me because because what? because we're Presbyterians <laughs> because we're reformed some of us some of us aren't because I didn't watch EastEnders. Well, because I pray. Because I didn't get drunk in high school. Because I got lots of letters after my name and I went to Bible college. And Jesus is like, no, we don't work like that here, Mary. Let, let me get a bit more complex, maybe near, near the bone. God will draw close to me because I didn't complain or I didn't leave the church when I got that bad diagnosis from the doctor. I have earned my right. And he better show up when I need him. I didn't leave when others did. Some of us have been persecuted mildly in this country for being Christians. He owes me. And he's going to show up when I need him now. In other words, 
Um, I've got God in my life because I've ticked a box. My spiritual life and security is dependent on that I've actually done something. And so I'm twisting his arm in sort of a spiritual sounding way. And he says to his mother, no, no, that's not how this works. Whoever you are, Mary, and you are special and blessed, and whatever you've been through, your track record isn't the basis of my love for you. And even people in church need to learn that today. Being in church does not mean God will do our bidding. I remember in Tonneroo in high school being called God's finest Bible basher. But just because my parents went to church, I got bullied because of it. But I wasn't God's finest. I didn't love God. I was dragged to church. But it didn't mean diddly squat. The cross meant nothing to me. Going to church doesn't click things between me and God. So here's my penultimate question, and it's a very important one. If spiritual experience isn't based on any special quality that Mary has, or that we have, or any status that we have, or who we might know, or who our gran was, how can any of us know for sure that we're blessed this morning spiritually? How can any of us be children of God and know it for sure and, and experience Him? And the answer is this story about wine. This story ab about Jesus and what He does and some jars that get mentioned that Roland read about. Jars of water where Jesus turns them into wine. Here's verse 6. And our lives depend on this. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. There were at this wedding quite a few jars filled with water. And if you know Leviticus chapter 11, which you all do, because it's one of the best chapters in the Bible, these jars, you would get the water, and then you would wash things with the water. And they would cleanse things. And people who were trusting in the coming Messiah, if they had mold in their houses, they would go and get this special water, they would clean it away. We don't want mold in our houses. The coming Messiah is going to sort all those problems out. And they'd be involved with death and decay and blood loss and all sorts of grim stuff that's got no place in the world that God wants. All those sins, those moldy, sinful things that have come into planet earth because of sin. God's like, there's a world coming and none of that's going to be there. So get excited about it. And here's some water and start cleaning things. That's why we clean things, because we're Christians. And we're looking forward to the clean world to come. And there are these jars. And Jesus takes hold of them. And he turns that into his very own wine that he loves and is wonderful. He takes the sign of the coming Messiah and he says, I'm here. Look, all that stuff. I'm going to do that when the time is right. I'm going to make this water even better. Look what I do with it. Now it's something that's good for the soul. Jesus takes the, de the decay of the world and he gives hope. And this water was poured on things and that's the key to the Christian life this water was poured on things and that's the key 
to the Christian life. Yeah, they would have drunk the wine, but the point of the story is these jars and the water that gets put on things. Now, all of you should have a walk with God and He does things in you. But that's not the basis of where you stand with God this morning. All of you should be walking in holiness and turning from sin and getting to know Jesus better and going out to where He wants you in the world and He does things in you. The fancy word is sanctifying you. But that's not your basis of why you're children with God. See, Mary doesn't have rights because she's Mary or because she's special. And Jesus says, let me show you why you're precious to me and why you'll be safe in my arms forever. It's not about who you are and what you do. It's because you get some water and it gets put on things. On things. Let me tell you, Park M, why you're precious to me, says the Lord God. Let me tell you the reason behind any spiritual experience you're ever going to have and any blessing or conversion or any amazing moment with God or any blessing or any healing that I ever give you. It's not because you're a good person inside and you've had a wonderful week praying or reading your Bible for four hours a day. It is when my purity comes on you. That is your basis of standing with the living God. My righteousness on you like a robe that you put on. The Apostle Paul says this, The righteousness of God is revealed through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. The perfect goodness of Jesus Christ is not earned by us. It's received and put on us. And we get lifted up as children of God because we've got His robe on. And every wonderful thing He's ever done is given to us. And every bad thing that we've ever done is put on Him on Calvary. And that's the great exchange. The basis of any sinner's rights with God is not our rich heritage or moral achievements. The application of these texts isn't behave better because that's what Christianity is. It's this, receive Christ and His righteousness. It's like a robe and then you'll cry out, Abba, Father, thank you. Now I know you as a child. And if we base our Wednesday prayer meetings on how well we've been, we'll damn the whole meeting. How well behaved we've been that week. That's not the Christian message. The cleansing work of Christ gladdens the soul and will set this church on fire. We just receive Christ and His work for us. And that's good news. Because Monday morning I wake up and I'm really, really tired and I can't have a four-hour quiet time and I probably shout at my wife and I have erratic emotions and I, and I have that wrong. Remember, well, that's good. My status with God isn't on my performance. Thank God. I'm still righteous. It overrides my erratic emotions because it's not in me. It's on me. And when the wine runs out for you and you suffer or you've backslid and you're too tired to tick your boxes of prayer and Bible study and smiling all the time and behaving. It's not all over for the Christian. That's not what these jars were about. He still loves his people. He is still for Park End Church. They are still righteous. And we still can come with all of our sin every moment of the day. I was in a minister's conference once in 2013. And I'll never forget what the man said. He said this, the single determining factor on how you stand with God the Father is Calvary. It's not you, Calvary. 
It's not how you've done. It's the righteous robes of the King given to you because of Calvary. And so my last question, how can that be given to us? Well, Roland read, Madam, my time has not yet come. I'm not about tricks about making you have a good bank account or healing you instantly whenever you think you need it. I'm about something bigger than that. I'm going to get to the core of your suffering. I'm going to give you hope right in the middle of it all. I may not sort out your problems straight away. I'm about something. My time has not yet come. Then he says in John 7, They sought to take him, but no one laid hand on him yet, because his hour had not yet come. But then, ladies and gentlemen, and I close with this, in John chapter 12, it says this, Jesus answered them saying, The hour has now come. That the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. My time has come and I'm going to be like a piece of grain that dies for sinners. And then soon after this wedding, he does die for sinners, taking their robes of sin on himself. And now we sing in modern day, bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood, hallelujah, what a Savior. There is power in the blood of Jesus and we have third day new life resurrection hope this day because on his third day he rose from the dead and tackled death, sin, and decay. What a Savior. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.